Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello. Today I'm very excited to welcome Dr Nina Baker and Dr Anthony Firth. Nina is an independent researcher looking at the history of women in engineering. She is currently working on a project on women shipbuilders on the River Clyde in Glasgow. Anthony is an archaeologist specialising in marine, coastal and inland waters and is the head of marine heritage strategy at Historic England. He is currently working on a project on women shipbuilders on the River Tyne. They are here today to tell us a bit more about their Clyde and Tyne explorations and how these projects relate to one another. Welcome, Anthony and Nina. To start off, could you both tell us a bit about who you are and how you both came to work on maritime history? My name's Nina Baker. Um, A long time ago, 50 years ago, I was a merchant Navy deck officer um, in oil tankers and cargo ships. Um, And since then, I've done all sorts of other things, mainly in the engineering field, although I'm not an actual practicing engineer. Um, I got interested in the history of women in engineering related work. um, And I've been doing that as um, an independent uh, researcher for the last 20 years. Um, And I got involved with the uh, Lloyd's Register Foundation when they were looking for people with an interest in maritime related women. Brilliant. So you have a practical and academic perspective on this. Um, Anthony? Yeah, so I'm um, I'm a marine archaeologist by background. I've been involved in marine archaeology throughout my career. Um, and uh, now I work for Historic England as their head of marine heritage strategy. Wow, brilliant. So you are both currently working on projects surrounding women in shipbuilding on the River Tyne and the River Clyde, respectively. So if we start up in in Glasgow and then work our way down, uh, Nina, could you tell us a bit about women shipbuilders on the Clyde? Well, it's hard to know when women were first doing work in shipbuilding on the Clyde because working class women's stories are rarely recorded. Um, 
shipbuilding on the Clyde didn't really get going until um, the 18th century when the Clyde was made deep enough for sh seagoing ships to come up to the Clyde uh, from the coast. Uh, it started first at Port, at Port Glasgow and Greenock um, and then was all the way up the Clyde. There were loads and loads of shipyards. In 1906, there was a big step change because Yarrow's um, moved their shipyard from the Isle of Dogs on the Thames up to the Clyde, and a lot of other shipbuilding followed that. Um, and in the 1890s and early part of the 20th century, 75% of all shipping in the world was built on the Clyde. Oh, wow. um, we, we know that um, women, there were certain sorts of work that women always had done, things like French polishing of, of furniture and, and panelling. And from the 1860s, they'd also worked in ancillary trades like rope making. But in actual shipbuilding, the First World War is when we first know about them um, doing that kind of work um, because they, they were brought in as the men were sent away to war. Um, and there are very few named women. Um, there's a photograph of some named women uh, that... Um, from a Port Glasgow shipyard, and it's possible that one of those women also went on to be someone who was photographed as being uh, a, a leader of a, a group of welding uh, women in the Second World War. A woman called Agnes Smith may have been Agnes Russell um, working in an engine shop in the First World War. Um, after the end of the First World War, and indeed this happened again at the Second World War, the law required um, all women who had been taken on for war work to be dismissed so that the men could have their jobs back. The yards didn't have any choice in the matter. They had to dismiss the women. Very tiny numbers of women were able to stay on, but um, they were like ones and twos. Um, in the Second World War, there were a lot of women um, working in both the civilian and naval shipyards, and they were doing all sorts of things, welding, fitting, um, electrical work. There is still a very, very elderly lady in Glasgow called uh, uh, Janet Harvey, who was one of only four women to train as ship's electricians on the Clyde in, in the Second World War. She's now over 100, still very sparky, but uh, living in care. Um, and um, we, we know about her and she's told some of her stories about how the work was easy, but the men were hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, and how are you finding this this information? What sources are you having to go through? Well, it's the usual thing. Um, you know, imaginative search terms in Google, looking in mm. the newspapers. Um, lots of other people have done uh, work about the history of, of the shipyards and you know, sometimes they've unearthed bits and bobs. So it's a question of knitting it all together, really. Yeah, brilliant. And um, this woman that you spoke about, who is over 100, have you been and interviewed her and talked with her about those experiences in person? Yeah, not formally, but yes, I have. And in fact, uh, when I first heard about her a few years ago, um, I was so taken with her story and she's just such a lovely lady um, yeah. that I tried to get um, an honour for her in the honours list, but you can only get national honours for work you're doing at the moment. Um, but I was oh. able to arrange through the Glasgow Caledonian University for her to get an honorary doctorate. And she got loads and loads of media coverage. She was on the on the BBC. They interviewed her. 
And it was lovely because, you know, she was a um, a working class East End Glasgow girl, no qualifications. And uh, she after the war, she worked in retail all her working life, never married. Um, so for her, the very end, last years of her life to be recognised in this way and to become you know, Dr. Janet Harvey was a real, a real kick for her. She just loved it. Um, and she's, she's a super person. Um, I don't know if anybody's done a formal oral history interview and maybe I should see if that's still possible, but, um, she, 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 she has spoken in public about her experiences. That's really fantastic. Um, and how do these women initially get involved in shipbuilding? What's the kind of process well, it's hard to know. That in the Second World War, we know that the Ministry of Labour um, actually advertised for women to go into the shipyards nationally. They produced a little booklet and so on about what the work might consist of. Um, and if if you were of an age and situation to be doing war work at all, the the Labour Exchange would send you um, oh. to where you were needed. You might have a bit of choice, and certainly if you lived in a shipbuilding area and you probably knew people in shipbuilding, probably family male family members either were or had been in shipbuilding or neighbours certainly would have been, you would know where there might be a well-paid job that you fancied and you'd just go and talk to the foreman and say, you know, I'd like to do this work. Um, but probably a lot of a lot of women were sent by the labour exchange. You had a choice if you were of conscription age. You either went into munitions work or you went into the armed forces. Wow! So actually, perhaps some of the women that worked on the Clyde were not from that area. They might not have been. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's very difficult to know. We we very rarely know any names. Um, uh, perhaps slightly more in the Second World War than the first, but not much uh, working class women, as I say, their names are rarely recorded. They rarely get into the newspapers, even if they're doing something unusual, like being a woman in a shipyard. And we only know about Agnes Smith because the Imperial War Museum did a series of photos of her with her workers, and she was in the newspapers about that time. Ah, okay. I see. Well, it's fantastic what you're doing, and we're hearing all of these stories now, so it's never too late. Um, Right, let's travel on down to the Tyne. Um, Anthony, could you tell us a bit about women's roles in shipbuilding on the Tyne? Yeah, so certainly the um, we're, we're interested in a, a particular set of women who are uh, uh, in photographed in um, um, shipbuilding roles uh, on, on the Tyne uh, and um, also on the Tees in the in the First World War. So it's quite a narrow focus that we have, and we know very little other than uh, what's shown in the photographs. So that's uh, we're we're really focusing on that, and we want to discover more about these women, um, about um, their uh, identities, their 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 role in the community, what community and family stories there might be about them. So we're starting uh, uh, from a, a different direction, if you like. We're we're taking one set of evidence, which is this collection of photographs held by the Imperial War Museums, and see where we can take that information. Oh, brilliant. And who took the photographs? Do you know who took them and why they were taken? So most of them were taken uh, by a a photographer for a sort of a a predecessor of the Imperial War Museum. Um, uh, 
he's called Horace Nichols. Uh, he, he was a photographer uh, before the war um, and had a, effectively a commission to take photographs uh, relating to different aspects of um, uh, of the war and its impact on the on the home front. So uh, and that, so these photographs went straight to um, in effect into the the, the uh, um, official archives and uh, which is where they've stayed and they're fabulous photographs and um, showing women almost as portraits of them in their in their daily work and uh, that's that's our starting point we we want to discover more about them. Brilliant. Where where do you go from there? How do you use these photographs to then go on to find out about them? So the the, the photographs have quite limited captions, um, but they do refer to the the yards that the uh, at least some of them refer to the yards where the women were working. So from um, from that information, and we know uh, roughly when the photographs were were taken, uh, we can understand partly about the the yards themselves, the kinds of work that were going on. Um, but also we can start to think about the ships that these women were involved in building. Uh, and then uh, we're w- working closely with uh, Lloyd's Register Foundation. They, they have tremendous records of technical drawings and correspondence relating to these ships. So we can we can start to see um, the, the where these yards uh, and the women working there fit into the construction of ships. And then we can go on to the histories of the ships that re, um, themselves, what happened to those ships uh, as they started on their uh, many journeys around the world. Now, some of them um, were sunk. So we uh, we can find, what we're hoping we can do is make connections between shipwrecks on the seabed and the women who made them. So uh, we have these connections from photographs, through to the places where they were built, uh, and which are really important to those communities uh, and associated with those places, but also to the ships where they lie on the seabed uh, in various places around the world. And we're really hoping we can build those connections. Uh, if you like to, if the industrial heritage of these women still lying on the seabed. Wow. That's really exciting. Um, I've heard there's going to be a pop-up exhibition on the subject in October. Could you tell us a bit about more about that and how our listeners can get involved and go and see it? Yeah, that that's right. So in um, uh, our plan is in October to have a pop-up exhibition uh, in Wall's End on Tyneside, uh, actually quite close to uh, the uh, the yards where these some of these photographs were taken. Um, will um the information about that that exhibition will be made available online particularly through um Lloyd Register Foundation and there'll be uh details there uh, including uh email addresses to to get in touch with us and uh, what we'll be looking for is um yes really any family histories or community histories or references not just to these women but to the women who were also working in the shipyards uh, alongside them and uh, yeah, we'll be looking out on the lookout for stories, for photographs, for um, any kind of anecdotes, even uh, things like um, uh, the, the women all wear um, uniforms. So it would be fantastic to be, you know, if there's any elements of these uniforms still surviving or perhaps the uh, war work badges that some of the, the women can be seen wearing. So they used to have almost like little brooches which showed that they were involved in war work that they could uh, 
they, they wore as part of their uniform, but probably wore out of their uniforms too, so that they could show that what contribution they were making. So anything to do with that, either the the um, the, the intangible or tangible aspects of uh, these women's work in the shipyards, would be really interested to find out. Wow, that would be amazing. Perhaps like Nina, you could find a, a Dr. Janet, a survivor. <laughs> Who could tell you some more about it? Yes, I doubt we'll find survivors, actually, but it, we do hope that we might find some stories that are perhaps one or two generations uh, removed. Yeah, passed down. Yeah, so passed down stories. Um, we, we, we're, um, we're, we're got high expectations. We think we can, we very much hope that we can we can add to the, the story of these, these women who are photographed but not named. Definitely. Well, they've got, they've got to be out there. Someone's got to know. Um, so a question for both of you. Why do you think that women's roles have so far been largely overlooked in maritime industries? Well, I, I think it comes back to the fact that until, well, I'm going to say that the middle of the 20th century, it was virtually impossible for women to reach um, the professional levels um, mm. in, in maritime related work. Um, there were a tiny number um, that, that were doing work, but usually on the sort of research side, not not in the shipyards. And Victoria Drummond, um, who was uh, the first female ship's engineer, she did her training in um, the Caledon shipyard in Dundee, and we know about that. And later on, she superv- when she was a, a chief engineer, she supervised the building of ships at burnt island later on but you know she was a very unusual example and it's really not until pretty much the 1970s that women could get the kind of engineering education that might lead them into professional roles and working class women never get their stories told yeah i think you know so you, you um the, the old phrase you can't be what you can't what you haven't seen um so to show that you know it's not just yesterday that women um have been working in shipyards um means that those women who think they're interested in shipbuilding or naval architecture don't necessarily have to feel that they have to be pioneers as well we can show that there's there is a history behind them yeah um anthony do you have anything to add or is that kind of summarising your thoughts as well. Yes, but there's a, a really close relationship between the Women's Engineering Society, which is a, you know organisation today, uh, still you know working really hard to, to encourage women uh, into engineering, to support women in engineering. Uh, and that organisation has its roots in this period immediately after the First World War, when so many women were frustrated by effectively being pushed out of those roles that they'd developed. And... Um, so this is a. It's a. We're working closely with Women's Engineering Society on this. There is a. Um, we, we want to, sh- uh, as uh, Nina's just said, we want to show that there is a history to women in engineering and in precision engineering, in heavy engineering, in skilled work in the shipyards, uh, which runs through uh, the, the Women's Engineering Society uh, to today and and really provide that. Uh, an indication of that heritage to rediscover stories which uh, have been lost they've subsided and we uh, we're, we're, as i say we're making what we can of the evidence that we have to to draw attention back to that uh, and hopefully that will act as um, uh, as an inspiration going forward brilliant so following on from that why do you think 
that this work and highlighting the role of women in shipbuilding is particularly important now? Well, to be fair, there's very little shipbuilding happening in Britain um, for historic reasons. You know, shipbuilding migrates around the world following the cheapest labour. Yeah. Um, but at the skilled end, at the sort of design end, um, and at the very high tech end, naval shipbuilding, it's still an important thing. I mean, it's really important in in, in Glasgow's context um, when it was made known that uh, BAE Systems at um, on the Clyde had, had got a big contract for um, warships for the for quite a few years to come. That was a huge deal, particularly for poor areas like Govan and Scotston, historic shipbuilding areas, because it meant that for the first time, the company could take on really significant numbers of apprentices. And those apprentices could not only expect to see out their time without being made redundant, but could expect work for the foreseeable future. And that's quite unusual in, in shipbuilding um, in Britain nowadays. So. It's it's I don't know why Lloyd Register particularly chose to do this at this time, but it is a great opportunity for women and men um, to learn more about uh, the opportunities in shipbuilding today. Um, and as Anthony said, hopefully we can inspire other women to get involved in maritime industries, even if it's not shipbuilding in particular, but just generally to show that history that we have been involved for centuries um but it just hasn't been recorded but hopefully that's coming out now um Anthony says uh, is there anything you'd like to add um yeah I think the that that, that point that, that across the maritime sector there that there are there's an awful lot happening in the maritime sector in in a range whether it's the uh, engineering side the technology there's an awful lot happening in the maritime sector so we're it's not unusual to see um, shipyards being repurposed into construction sites for offshore wind, for example. So there's still tremendous need for basically everybody's skills. Uh, and uh, we have to be involving everyone to make the most uh, of uh, the challenges that we're facing. You know, so there's um, uh, if we can provide um, some indicate the longevity of that uh, indicate that these are uh, there is a heritage to this then uh, we should be using that as a springboard to to face um you know all the all the challenges that we have today perfect thanks so much i think we'll finish on that hopeful and optimistic note um and thank you to nina and anthony for your wonderful stories and insights into this fascinating topic um, and follow us on social media to hear more about that upcoming exhibition which sounds really exciting Thanks for listening, everyone. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and follow us on social media to keep updated. More news on that exciting exhibition coming soon. I'll be back shortly with some more guests to discuss all things women in maritime history. But goodbye for now.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 